Take your Bible, open up to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 4. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 21 to verse 34. Mark chapter 4, verses 21 to 34. So we look at this passage of Scripture this morning. We're going to be looking at three different illustrations that are given by Jesus, which are commonly referred to as kingdom parables. All right, so kingdom parables were these stories which were told by Jesus, which conveyed a truth about the kingdom of God. You know, normally when we think of kingdoms, we think of an area that is geographically locked, but what you find with the kingdom of God is that it is not confined to a land border or physical boundaries. In the broadest sense of the term, the kingdom of God is the rule of an eternal sovereign God over all of the universe. One could say the kingdom of God consists of anything and everything, both physical and spiritual in the world, since he is the creator of it all. Psalms 103.19 says, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. But as you begin to read through Scripture, and particularly the Old Testament, what you learn is that the kingdom of God was also a future reality that was anticipated by the Jewish people. The Jewish people believed that the kingdom of God was a time when God would come with power and might and that when he would materially and physically establish his rule and reign through a Messiah king. And while this was a kingdom that was greatly anticipated, it was also one that was widely misunderstood. Jesus says to his disciples in Mark chapter 4 and verse 11 that to them it had been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. That's the tag for this morning's message is the mysterious kingdom. You know, that word mystery is is a word that you'll see repeated over and over both by Jesus and his teachings and even by the Apostle Paul in his teachings. And in the New Testament, that word mystery means something that at one time had been hidden, but is now being revealed to God's people. Listen, the kingdom of God had long been prophesied. The kingdom of God had long been anticipated, but the how, the when, the who was not known in its entirety. Yet as you open up the gospel of Mark and you go to Mark chapter 1 verse 15, Jesus comes into the scene after his baptism proclaiming the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus says the kingdom of God had come. You know, Jesus was speaking of something more than just God's sovereign eternal reign over all of his creation. But rather, Jesus was speaking of that messianic kingdom, that kingdom that was to be ruled by the Messiah and the Savior, the kingdom that had been promised to the Jewish people in the Old Testament. Listen, and the reason that Jesus could say that the kingdom of God was at hand was because the king of the kingdom had arrived. As we now come to this passage of Scripture this morning, Jesus is going to begin to reveal to us and and help us to see some of these mysteries of the kingdom. So if you'll join me in Mark chapter 4, look at verse 21 with me. I'm going to read through verse 34. The Bible says, Also he said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? 
is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Then he said to them, take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has to him, more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And he said, the kingdom of God is as a man should scatter seed on the ground. It should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how, for the earth yields crops by itself. First the blade, then the head. After that, the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Then he said, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God, or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which... When it is sown on the ground, it's smaller than all the seeds on the earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. Let us pray together and then we'll dive into our text. Dear Lord, again, we just thank you for this time. Thank you for your word, Lord. Lord, I pray that as I preach this text this morning, that you would be help, that you would help me to be faithful to it. Lord, that you would give me clarity and concision of speech. Lord, that as I speak this morning, that it would not just be words, but rather that you would pierce the hearts of the listeners and help us and challenge us, convict us, Lord that we would grow in Christ's likeness, that we would be drawn to Christ. Lord, I pray that you would empty me of self, that you would fill me with your spirit, that you would give me unction this morning and freedom in the pulpit, Lord, that you would be glorified and Christ would be exalted. In Christ's name, amen. As I began my message last week, I started by telling you all that the parable of the soils was the most difficult teaching in all of Jesus' messages. But I need to let you know that as I was in my study this week, my mind changed. All right. Now, now that's not saying a whole lot. I have a joke with my friends um, that are pastors also. I always tell them, you know, the the hardest message I've ever preached is the one I'm working on that week. It's like every week it's like, man, it's like a labor getting through the text. Right. But as we come to this passage this morning, you know, the good thing about the parable of the soils was that Jesus explains to us exactly what he was trying to convey, exactly what he was trying to teach us. But in these three passages that we're going to look at together, he, he doesn't give an explanation um, outright. You know, the, the last two parables are clearly straightforward and easy to interpret and comprehend. But, but this first one, it gave me a little bit of a struggle this week, all right? So what, what makes this passage so difficult, at least for me, is that you can interpret this passage in a multiplicity of different ways and still be faithful to the whole of Scripture and its entirety. I mean, I listened to a couple different sermons, and I read a couple different commentaries, and almost every single one of them went a different direction with this text, all right? So, but that's okay. So, I'm going to try to do my best this morning to explain this passage to you in a way that I feel is most faithful 
to the intended original meeting in the context of the chapter as a whole. So as we step into our passage, this first story that I'm speaking of is the parable of the light under a basket. So in this first parable that Jesus gives as he reveals the mystery of the kingdom, the thing that we learn is that the kingdom of God is revealed by the Son of God. The kingdom of God is revealed by the Son of God. Look at verse 21. Verse 21, Jesus says, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? All right, Jesus begins with this simple story, illustration, that not many people are going to argue with. Jesus says, do you bring a lamp into a house to cover it? Right? So, so in Jesus' day, they didn't, they didn't have electricity, in case you were wondering. But what they did is that they had these bowls, and they would fill these bowls with, with oil. And this bowl would be full of oil. They would put this floating wick in the middle of this, this, this vessel, and they would light it. And then they had what were called lampstands, where there were these, these shelves almost that would protrude out of the side of the wall. So not having electricity, not being able to just plug a lamp into the wall, they would light these lamps, and they would stick them on these lampstands. Jesus says, you don't light an oil lamp and stick it under a bed. You don't light an oil lamp and put a basket over top of it. That totally defeats the purpose of the lamp. You don't, you don't put a light somewhere where it cannot shine, but rather you put that lamp, you put the light in a place where it's able to illuminate the darkness that is around it. So, so even as we look at this text, I, I need to let you know some of my frustrations with the translator. So, so the translation that I am reading from, and, and even most likely the translation that you are reading from, all begin is a lamp brought to be put under a basket. All right. In the English translation, the indefinite article is used rather than the definite, which leaves the lamp in this generic sense. Okay, but when you go to the original Greek, which Mark would have been writing in, the definite article was used, which makes the lamp the subject of the sentence. I see the way y'all are looking at me. So, so I'm going to break it down a little bit more for you. Right? I'm, I'm going to give you all a quick grammar lesson. Indefinite articles are used when the identity of something is not known. So we're looking for a car. That, that could be any car, right? But the definite article is used when the identity is known. So we are looking for the car you still haven't caught up with me let me say it this way jesus is not talking about any old lamp jesus is not talking about some lamp jesus is not talking about a lamp but rather literally translated jesus is saying is the lamp brought listen as jesus begins to speak of the lamp which is to not be hidden jesus is very clearly speaking of himself the one who has come as a light into the world, the one who is the light of men, the one who is the true light, the one who is the light of the world. Look at verse 22. Jesus says, For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. Listen, church, Jesus came as a light in darkness, not to be overshadowed by the Pharisees. Jesus came as a light in darkness to reveal these mysteries, not to be stopped or covered by his family, but rather to unveil the mysteries of the kingdom of God. The things that were hidden, the things that were kept secret, they are now manifested. They are now visibly seen in the teachings and the life of Jesus Christ. God had brought his lamp 
into a dark world, to reveal truth, to enlighten minds, to conquer darkness. Jesus is the lamp that reveals hidden things and brings secrets to light. You know, this is really a twofold ministry of Jesus. Jesus came to reveal the hidden truths of God, mainly the truth of the gospel, right? The truth that salvation and forgiveness are found through repentance and belief in the Son of God, not through man's work, not through sacrifices offered on an altar, but rather through the ultimate sacrifice on a cross. So Jesus came to reveal these hidden truths of God, but he also has a revelatory work that's being accomplished in the hearts and minds of man. Because as Jesus begins to teach the truths of God, and Jesus begins to teach them the gospel and begins to tell them of their sin and their need for a Savior, as Jesus begins to call them to repentance, what you find is that man's intentions, man's motives, and man's deepest desires are revealed by their response to the preached word of God, the response to the gospel. Some mock, some scorn, some are angry. Listen, some become emotional and some with faith receive the truths of God's word. That's what the parable of the soils was about that we looked at last week. Man's response to the word. And then Jesus then follows up this teaching. He says, I am the light that has come to illuminate the darkness, to reveal these mysteries that were once hidden. They are no longer hidden. And he follows up by saying, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. This was a phrase that was often repeated by Jesus as he, as he taught a, a difficult truth. Listen, Jesus was not literally saying, if you have ears on the side of your head, then listen to me. But rather, like my parents used to say, what, what Jesus is saying is, I know you hear me, but are you listening? Right? You know, he's saying, he's saying don't just allow my, my teachings to go in one ear and out the other, but rather truly listen and seek to understand what I am trying to tell you. Look at verse 24. Then he said to them, take heed what you hear. Pay close attention to the words that I am teaching you. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. If in verses 21 to 22, Jesus is saying, I have come to reveal this truth. Now in verses 24 and 25, Jesus is saying, this is then what you need to do with the truth that I am revealing. Jesus is saying that your response to reveal truth your response to God's word will dictate your spiritual growth. Having ears to hear, listening to understand, be ready to act upon the truth that I have given you. It's the same truth that's conveyed in the parable of the talents, that there's an expectation for you to do something with what God has given you. Jesus is teaching us that the more that we earnestly desire, listen, the more that we long to understand God's word, that the more blessed we will be. Listen, Jesus is saying you get what you give for, for what you measure, the, the way that you measure. If you put all of your attention in this, then it will be measured back to you. To you who hear more will be given. You know, some of us are discouraged this morning because 
We don't seem to be growing in our walk with the Lord. Some of us are discouraged this morning because we feel disconnected and distant from God, yet we aren't giving time, we aren't giving our attention, we aren't submitting to the words of God. Since church, God's blessing does not come through a reposted message on Facebook. God's, message, God's blessing does not come through a comment that is left under a post, but rather God's blessing, God's hand in your life. Listen, listen, God's provision and, and, and care over your life comes through intimacy with and time in his word. If you aren't growing in the Lord, one of the very first questions and you need to begin to ask yourself, one of the very first areas that you need to look at is your relationship with God's word. Listen, your relationship with the scripture. You know, ask yourself the question, are, are you doing personal devotions? Listen, are you, are, 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 are you coming? Are you showing up at the corporate study of the word as we open the pages of the Bible and we see what God has to say to us? And, and then even more important, as you do hear these words and as you do study God's word, are you applying what you are learning to your life? Jesus says, don't just have ears. Don't just read the Bible out of formality. Don't just read the Bible because you feel that you need to and you're supposed to, but rather have ears to hear. Read the Bible for understanding. Read the Bible to apply it to your life. Because the truth of the matter is, one of the most dangerous things you can do in the world is to show up to church Sunday by Sunday to come to Sunday school and to come to Bible study, to open your Bible and read God's Word and never allow it to transform your heart. Look at verse 25. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But, but, whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. There's a danger in going through the motions of religion, yet never allowing God's word to transform your heart. D.L. Moody is noted for saying that the Bible was given not for our information, but rather for our transformation. Listen, Jesus is saying that just as responding to my word will foster growth in your spiritual walk, refusing and rejecting my word will bring about a lost desire for the things of God in its entirety. Charles Spurgeon on this passage noted that some have been made worse by the preaching of that word that ought to have made them better. Refuse Jesus and refuse his word and you lose the little you may once have had. This is a critical spiritual principle for us in our lives. For those who reject Jesus' words, there comes a point of divine judgment where Jesus cuts us off and keeps us from, perce from perceiving any more truth. Jesus says, as you hear the word, make sure you put in action what I am teaching you. Lest you become like the Pharisees, callous, hardened, rejecting that understanding, the words of God. You know, I truly believe that one of the distinguishing marks of a Christian, and I say Christian in the truest sense of the word, is their responsiveness to the word of God. 
If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. As you then move on to the next two kingdom parables, Jesus returns to this agricultural analogy of a farmer and sea. As we grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is this natural succession that happens, right? So there's, there's this natural path that follows as you move from one parable to the next. And Jesus is teaching that as we're growing in our knowledge, as he's revealing the mysteries to us and we are having ears to hear that we then must share what we learn with others. Look at verse 26. He says, the kingdom of God is if a man is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. The kingdom of God is revealed by the Son of God, but it grows through the people of God. Listen, knowledge of God is not to be kept to oneself. Knowledge of God is not to be safeguarded. It is not to be hidden under a bushel, but rather knowledge of God, the truths of the gospel are to be shared. Like the farmer even that we saw last week, we are to sow seeds of the gospel both liberally and indiscriminately. Listen, church, evangelism is not an elective in the kingdom of God. I've heard people say, you know, I I just don't have the gift of an evangelist. But what we find is that evangelism, sharing our faith, telling others about the goodness of Jesus Christ is a command. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. How do you make disciples? By evangelizing, by telling them the good news of the gospel. Listen, in Christ we are called to be farmers, to sow seeds of the gospel to everyone around us. We do that by the way that we live. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we need to have our conduct, the way that we live, our lives need to be honorable among the Gentiles or among the unbelievers. Why? So that by your good works they observe glorify, and glorify God in the day of visitation. Peter says that the way that we live, that the, the, the life that we portray, that our good works among unbelievers, our love, our joy, our peace, our kindness, that they should point them to something much greater than ourselves. That when our co-workers, when our family members, when our friends see the life change that has happened as a result of God working in our hearts, that they themselves are drawn to Jesus Christ. But we also sow words by the, or sow seeds by the words that we say. Paul tells us in Romans 10, he says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Listen, Paul's not talking about the man that stands behind the pulpit. Paul is talking about a preacher as a person that is a herald of the good news of Jesus Christ. He's talking about each and every one of us that, that share what God has done in our life, that share that, that we can be made right with God, with everyone around us. Listen, we need to be, I'm talking to myself here as well. Listen, I'm not just pointing you all out, but I'm reminding myself that we should all be having gospel conversations with friends. We should be having gospel conversations with family about how, how what Jesus has done in our life, that he is able to do the exact same thing for them. Yet, 
I recognize it even as I say this and even as I remind us of this command of Jesus that there are some in here that, that, that cringe and get anxious at the idea of having to share their faith. But before you have a panic attack, I want you to see this, this magnificence. I'm talking about this, this encouraging and quite frankly comforting truth that happens in this passage. Look at verse 26 with me again. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seeds on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day. And the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself. First the blade, then the head. After that, the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, Immediately, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Jesus says the farmer is responsible for sowing seeds. But the growth of the seeds is not up to him. The truth of the matter is not only is the growth of the seeds not up to the farmer, but, 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 but he doesn't even possess the power to be able to make the seed grow even if he wanted to. He himself does not know how, but rather what we find is that as he sows seeds, he then patiently waits day by day and night after night. And while he is resting, listen, there are unseen powers, there are unseen forces at play underneath of the surface. The sun is rising, the rain is coming down, and what happens is that eventually it brings forth a blade, and that blade turns into a head, and then a full grain. In this parable, we are reminded that when we cease to work, God begins to work. That while gospel proclamation is the duty of man, that while we are commanded to share our faith, that gospel receptivity, that whether or not somebody accepts the good news of Jesus Christ is the work of God. Listen, the reason I share this with you this morning is because if I know anything, if you were anything like I was and that, that, that I want you to understand that I want you to come to grips with recognizing that it is not the craftiness of your words. Listen, it is not the cunningness of your message. It is not how convincing or compelling you are in your approach that draws sinners to repentance. But I just remind you that it is God and God alone. Listen, and knowing this and coming to grips with this and recognizing this in its totality takes the unfounded pressure off of evangelism. Listen, your job is not to save people. God does the saving. Our job is to sow seeds. And Jesus says, if you faithfully sow, at just the right time, as that seed matures, he will come and he will reap the harvest. The kingdom of God is revealed by the Son of God. It grows through the people of God by the power of God. And as you then move on to this next story, what you find is that Jesus moves from the individual growth of the Christian to now the corporate growth of the church. Look at verse 30. Then he said, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground is smaller than all the seeds on earth. But when it is sown, it grows up, becomes greater than all herbs shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. I want to take you back to the spring of 1886. 
Atlanta, Georgia, there is a pharmacist who walks into work. But this work day is not the same as every other work day because as he walks into his drugstore, he has in his arms a jug. And in this jug, he has a mixture of carbonated water and syrup. And this pharmacist walks into his drugstore and he sets this mixture on the counter and he begins to sell it for five cents a cup. That first day he sells a few cups and over time he begins to sell about nine glasses a day. And at that first year, it's 1886, he makes a whopping $50, which actually was a $20 loss because his operating expenses were $70. However, despite this pharmacist's eager or meager beginning, this seemingly insignificant drink, this concoction that he has would go on to become one of the most recognized beverages in the world. It's about one that is sold in over 200 countries and its logo is known by 94% of the world's population, Coca-Cola. This pharmacist went from selling nine glasses of Coke a day to now 1.9 billion servings of Coca-Cola are sold a day. Such is the kingdom of God. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. A mustard seed was the smallest known seed during Jesus' day in the region of Israel. A great comparison to the meager beginnings of Christianity. I mean, really, how significant could the short ministry of Christ be? Three years. He had but a handful of followers. He was a man of no rank. He had no means. He lived in what everybody considered a backwater region of the world. Listen, as he died on a cross, his life and his death did not catch the world's attention any more than a mustard seed laying on the side of the road would have. But we have a God who can do big things with small beginnings. This mustard seed, one-tenth of an inch, hard to even hold between your fingers, when planted, blossoms and can grow to a tree that is 10 feet in height. I mean, of astronomical proportions compared to what it once was. And likewise, what we find is following Jesus' resurrection, what seemed inconsequential at first, grew into a movement of worldwide influence that could not be stopped. As Jesus told this parable to his small group of followers, they had no idea the totality of what this would mean. Today, we see the fullness of what Jesus is revealing about the kingdom to his disciples. To to them, the the kingdom of God consisted of this little ragtag group of guys that had come together, hardly significant, hardly influential by any means, but that that small seed started to flourish. It started to grow, and this movement went from 12 to at the end of 100 AD to 7,000 to now in 2024, 2.38 billion professing Christians. Kingdom of God is as a mustard seed. You know, but even more significant than the miraculous growth of the kingdom is Jesus' revelation of the width and the reach of the kingdom. The common Jewish thought during these days was that the kingdom of God was reserved only for the Jewish people. 
As you read throughout Scripture, even as we were reading through the book of Acts, we've seen how, how even Jesus' own apostles struggled with this idea of, of, of the kingdom of God being, being offered to those outside of Judaism. But here in verse 32, Jesus said, as the kingdom of God grows, that the birds of the air will nest under its shade. Listen, if you go back to Ezekiel 17, you will find a prophetic promise of Jesus, the Messiah, to come. And Ezekiel says that under Jesus' rule and reign, that every sort of bird would shelter under his branches. Ezekiel 17, 23, on the mountain height of Israel, I will plant it. And it will bring forth bows and bear fruit and be a majestic cedar, under it dwell birds of every sort. In the shadow of its branches they dwell. In Daniel chapter 4, as King Nebuchadnezzar has these visions and these dreams of his own kingdom, the nations and the people of the world are depicted as birds nesting under a tree. Listen, as Jesus gives this vision to us, as he gives this picture in our mind, can you see it? This, this fully mature mustard seed with these large branches extending out and these leaves and on this tree, birds of every kind. I'm talking about bluebirds and cardinals, woodpeckers, finches, doves, sparrows, owls. This, this multiplicity of birds that are coming together under this one tree. A beautiful picture of the kingdom. Aren't you glad that as Christ went to the cross, the perfect, sinless Son of God, that as He had nails put in His hands and feet, that as He had a crown of thorns placed on His head, that as He was mocked and scorned and beaten, as He had a spear driven into His thigh, that as He bore the wrath of God for all mankind, that His death was not just for the Jew. Listen, that His death was not just for the Gentile, but rather that the death of Christ on the cross was for all. The Apostle John tells us in uh, Revelation chapter 7, he has this vision to the end of the tribulation, and he says that in the kingdom of God, he saw a vast multitude, listen, from every nation, from every tribe, from every people, from every language, which nobody could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Listen, we have a God whose love transcends all human boundaries. Listen, we have a God whose love transcends all human prejudices, whether it be racial, whether it be political, gender, economic, or whatever else man decides to divide over. Listen, aren't you glad that anyone and everyone now, because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, can be forgiven of our sins and made right with a holy, loving Father? Listen, friend, we too can find rest. We read about it this morning. You said, come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Listen, we can find rest and comfort under this tree. We can nest under its shade. The mystery of the kingdom of God is that God was working out his plan of salvation for his glory and his glory alone. Listen, the kingdom of God is revealed by the Son of God. It grows through the people of God by the power of God, all for the glory of God. And as I close, I'm going to repeat to you the exact words that Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Every head bow and eyes closed. Listen, if you are here this morning and you have never 
done that, if you have never repented of your sin, if you have never believed in Christ alone for your salvation, I want to urge you and beg you this morning to do so. Listen, salvation is free. All that you have to do is trust and believe in Jesus Christ. Listen, that's you here this morning. You say, I haven't done that, but I would like to, that I would like to be made right with God. With heads bowed, eyes closed, I want you just to slip your hand up. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I just want to pray with you and pray for you. That's you. You say, listen, I, I don't know that the kingdom of God belongs to me, that I'm a part of that, but I would like to know. Man, let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time you've given us this day, Lord. And just, again, thank you for your word, Lord. Lord, I know we covered a lot this morning, but I pray that your word would not return void, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would be reminded of the seriousness of taking your words and applying them to our lives, Lord. Lord, that we would continue to grow, that we would that we would continue just to seek to understand, have ears to hear, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would remember our duty to share your word, to sow those seeds, Lord, and then at the end of it all, Lord, to sit back and to rest and to glory in what you are able to accomplish by your power, Lord, not by ours. Lord, but by your powers and just glory in the fact that we can have a small part in your plan of redemption, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would be with us just the rest of this time we have together, Lord. We love you for all you do in Christ's name. Amen.